Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Hi, this is Lisa, and I have a new guest with me here today. I have... Paul. Say hi, Paul. Hello, everybody. Hey, well, you are on our show for the first time, so do you want to kind of introduce yourself really quick to the audience? So, hi, my name's Paul Page. I kind of go by AKA Jedi Jed to all my convention friends. And yeah, I'm excited for my first time on I Love That Movie. Great. Well, before we kind of jump in and introduce the movie, just want to get out of the way real quick. Uh, Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you ever want to reach out to me, you can reach out to me on Twitter under AYA Lisa Cosplay. I'm also on Instagram under AYA and as a Nancy AMI Lisa. And we have a close Facebook group that Paul is in as well called I Love That Movie. Um, It's a It's a uh, closed group, but just send a request and I'll add you. It's just a safe space for people to talk about movies that they love, and it's judgment-free. My only rule is that we keep it positive, which everybody generally does, so it's it's a pretty good time. Um, And if you like what you hear today, please subscribe and rate the show. If you could drop us a positive review on iTunes, you will be entered uh, automatically entered to win a $20 gift card to movie theater chain of your choice. This is real, folks. I've pulled one winner at 15. I'm going to pull the next one at 30, so leave one today. All right. Well, with that out of the way, Paul, uh, why don't you kind of introduce yourself a little bit and uh, your background? Well, actually, before we do that, why don't you introduce the movie? (laughs) Uh, The movie we're doing today is Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. I think its release date was June 1st, 1984. And I actually, well, I didn't see it on that exact day, but I did see it that summer. Oh, awesome. I am so excited that we're talking about Star Trek. I am a huge Trekkie, so this is this is going to be so fun for me. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think Trek was the only thing I enjoyed watching as a kid. I didn't have anything to do with Saturday morning cartoons or any of that mess. But boy, when my parents started watching that, yeah, I was hooked for life. Well, that's awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about this film in particular. Uh, when did you see this movie? Oh, you, you mentioned already that you saw it June, or uh, when it yeah, came out in the theaters. June of 84, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just returned back to Houston, where my parents had lived after being a, off at college for a couple of years. And it's a few personal circumstances. I came home feeling defeated and leaned on my friends. And this was one of the movies they took me to. And what was what could be more appropriate than a movie about friends doing for another friend at all costs? And that's why this movie has a pretty personal uh meaning to me completely understandable well with that said i'm going to read the synopsis really quick and then we're going to kind of jump in to some quick facts admiral james t kirk has defeated his arch enemy but at a great cost his friend spock has been killed the uss Entership is being scrapped 
and starship physician Dr. Leonard Bones McCoy has taken ill. McCoy's odd behavior is evidence he's harboring Spock's Katra or animating spirit, and Kirk seeks to take the Enterprise back to the Genesis planet to find his friend. Rebuffed, Kirk takes dramatic action that results in a war with the deadly Klingons. Dun, da, da, da. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you, Star Trek Two. I'd say if you're if you've never seen Star Trek Three, you definitely want to see tar- Star Trek Two first. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's I I agree, and uh, I've kind of forgot to mention when we were talking about when you saw the movie. I think you know I can't remember the first time I saw this movie because I was born in '83. So <laughs> this movie oh, yeah, came out when I was two. <laughs> so I saw all these movies kind of at the same time. I saw, you know, when I say all these movies, I mean the original movies. So one through yeah, six. Yeah, from the motion picture. Yeah. Then two, then, yeah. Right. And, and so they were kind of, and I say this answer a lot on this show, but they were basically like on TV, uh, you know, on, on cable and just seeing a lot of them in a row in the living room, dropping in and watching them uh, because my family was watching them. So I, I can't remember the exact first time I saw this, but I definitely grew an appreciation for them. When I was a, a really small, I kind of thought of this as like, oh, my dad likes this one. This is like the older Star Trek, you know, because I kind of grew up with the next generation. You know, that was my Star Trek. And then as I got older, I grew to really appreciate these movies. And now I am a huge fan. So that's kind of my journey with with these particular movies. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think you should definitely see Wrath of Khan. I mean, that's crazy if you haven't seen that yet and you see this one. I would definitely see that one first. I would see them in order, really. Well, back when I saw this movie, remember, there was television was a desert of science fiction. There was very little good sci-fi on at all. I mean, from after the original series went off the air, we didn't get... We didn't get the first movie until 1978, and mm-hmm. that only happened because Paramount figured out, hey, look at how much money they're making with this this Star Wars movie they just released, and looks it's gonna it's winning Academy Awards. What what property do we own that we can compete with, you know, this next year? And sure enough, they they came out with Star Trek: The Motion Picture. They got Robert Weiss to direct it. It was this huge production. It was a good movie in its own right, but it it was just the beginning. When they did Star Trek Two, Nicholas Meyer, that's when they kicked it into you know the warp seven right there. That was that was a fantastic movie. Of course, at the end, you're left with Spock dying to save the ship, and you know really don't know where to go. I can remember walking and seeing petitions in the movie theater. It said said get rid of Savick, bring back Spock. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And of course, you know, the within three days of the movie being released, Paramount already went ahead and green-lighted uh, Star Trek Three. Yeah, because originally and, that was going to kind of end Cap, right? Like, the Wrath of Khan mm-hmm. was supposed to be the end. Right. But it made so much money, they were like, never mind, let's keep making these, which was the right move, I think. Oh, yeah. And Nimoy had a, you know, this was his chance, his first directorial premiere, and... I think he he mentioned that um, he was approached by Paramount executives to do the movie. And he's like, sure, that'd be great. And he waits a few weeks, doesn't hear anything. His agent never calls. He calls back. He gets a meeting with Michael Eisner. They do a lot of glad handing. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we want you to direct this. Two weeks go by, he doesn't hear anything. 
And he finally calls Michael Eisner up and just calls him out and said, what's going on? I'm not, my agent's not getting any contacts. I haven't seen a contract. And he goes, well, Leonard, we really don't think you want to do this because we heard in your contract, you said you didn't ever want to do any Star Trek movies again. We just don't think oh. you're the right person. And he says, that, he says, that's not true. That's a, that's a rumor. He said, said, Michael, get somebody in your office. The contracts are there. Go pull them out, read it. And you'll see. And he said, eventually he, Asked them to come in. They had lunch. They talked it over, and everything was smoothed over, and the movie went on. And Leonard Nimoy, the reason I mention this is because his influence has set all the shows that you grew up on, Next Generation, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, a lot of the way the Klingons were designed, the, the Vulcans and their mysticism, all of that was Nimoy. That was his, his influence. The, the whole aspect of the Katra actually comes from... Uh, his faith, his Jewish faith of uh, some of the mystical side of spirits, they call, I think, divots that will inhabit a living soul, another living body. That's where he got the concept of the Katra from, the bridge from the end of Ratha Khan and kind of get through that particular roadblock they had, killing Spock and bring <laughs> him back. So, yeah, it's... Now, I'm sorry, I digress on this. this oh, is, no, uh, no, you're totally very fine. Passionate I actually about this had movie. a, I actually had a question. So I, I heard him say that. I, w I was watching the director's commentary right before we started recording because I watched it a couple times, but um, I decided right before we were recording, I was like, I want to watch the commentary too. So my question is, um, you know, yes, his, his influence is definitely felt in this movie. Um, but it, it seemed to imply that he influenced Wrath of Khan too. Did did he help write that, or what? What hand did he have in in that um, in that movie? I don't think that was all Nicholas Meyer. I think on the writing. I okay. I'm not sure. I mean, he in terms of directing, three was his first was his first one. Right. Yeah. That he had done. Yeah. Just I wondered if if he had had some influence on that plot as well, but maybe I just misheard it. Well, the thing is, one of the comments I think he made in that same commentary is that as a director for him, it was really easy because he already knew the sets. He already knew the actors. The actors already knew all their characters. They already knew their characters' backstory. Well, that would have been the same way in Star Trek, too. Every one of those actors and actresses knew their backstory, and they had a sure. they could they could go back and forth with Nicholas Meyer and, you know, come up with, you know, no, this is the way the character should do it. And mm -hmm. even Robin Curtis, who plays Savick in Star Trek Three, said that, you know, Leonard was he was the iconic. He invented Spock and the Vulcans. So having him to director was was perfect. Yeah, I thought it was a very natural transition. You can really tell how invested he is in the movie and and in the uh, following one. Um, I had a couple quick facts, too, before we talk about him a little further. Um, I had read that uh, production was endangered by the great fire at Paramount. Um, <clears throat> William Shatner helped fight the fire and rescue a crew member before firefighter reinforcements arrived. And Shatner said that his motivation for doing so was purely to save a day on shooting, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as he had a deadline to be available for sh shooting on the new season of T.J. Hooker. <laughs> yeah, and then the other thing, he actually, part of that, there was minor explosions going off and something went off next to one of his ears and then he's suffered tinnitus from then on and i can't remember which talk show i think it may have been letterman and he told him at one point he considered suicide because the he just it was driving him nuts ringing his of his ears so he started a foundation to help people with tinnitus so he said at least something good came out of that 
He yeah. says, well, I got paid, but then I got this, you know, took a bad thing and turned it into a good thing. But as somebody else who suffers with tinnitus, I could surely understand what he was going through. But, um, yeah, that was interesting fact. The fire, I remember they, they actually put that on the news uh, when that happened. That actually made news here in Texas. Oh, wow. And before the movie was released, they just showed like a little clip of them outside and all the smoke. But, yeah, oh they had gosh. to do some patchwork to continue shooting the scenes, come in and repaint sets. Because mm-hmm. the Genesis planet, it was that set that went up. Oh, I mean, it had a lot of pyrotechnics. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, there's a lot going yeah. on in that planet. Yeah, yeah, a lot of pyrotechnics. A lot of They had to do a lot of scene changes and paint, repaint and rebuild. So they already had all the equipment. I guess it, it went pretty fast. And so I don't think he lost a, a whole day on that. Gotcha. Still got to do his TJ Hooker episodes. <laughs> on the tinnitus thing, I, I had read that uh, Leonard Nimoy also suffered from that as well. Yeah, I, both I don't, it. yeah, I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of that comes, I'm sure with age, <laughs> unfortunately, as we learn over the years, but yeah, I'm not sure if it was from that particular set, but I, I just remember Shatner saying it was that, that particular point in time where he thinks oh, wow. his started. Ugh, that's awful. Um, so the villains of this film were originally intended to be Romulans. Uh, but the upper studio management wanted Klingons to be used since they were better known enemies. And by the time the decision was made, the Romulan ship was already built and they didn't want to uh, go through the expense of replacing it. <laughs> but however, the original Star Trek series had already established that the Klingons and Romulans kind of shared technologies and ships in the past. So Or stole. <laughs> stole, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the idea of Klingons <clears throat> using a Romulan style vessel was not like a big deal. And I, I didn't realize that. Um, I... I can I could imagine, you know, Leonard Nimoy wanting to go more with the Romulans, but I could totally see Paramount saying, "Nah, the Klingons are a money maker." <laughs> yeah, I think that I I think that worked out better. I mean, if you see the the Klingons just have there's more lavishness and richness, and a it, it comes off as a warrior culture more. I think. I would imagine the marketing people thought, "Oh, they'll get confused with the Vulcans." And, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, I think it was originally going to be, he was going to be a rogue. He had stolen a Romulan warship. That was the next storyline that Krug, mm. the Klingon commander, stole a Romulan warship. And they there was going to be a scene where he was attacking some other Klingon ships before he heads to the Genesis planet. So, And then they scrapped that idea and just went with, you know, we're just going to go with it. This is a Klingon ship. And he's just, you know, being a rogue mercenary Klingon. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, speaking of Klingons, Edward James Olmos was actually Leonard Nimoy's first choice for the role of Krug. However, executive producer Harve Bennett preferred Christopher Lloyd. Nimoy finally cast Lloyd because he came off more operatic and physically intimidating. Wow. I and you, never knew that. I mean, that would have been that, that would have been an interesting, uh, interesting turn of things. Yeah, because Edward James Olmos is not... I mean, I've never nah, seen him does. be big, you know, like be in terms of his performance. So I think, yeah, I think it just would have been such a different movie. He's more subtle, kind of quiet, like mm-hmm. the Blade Runner, his, his yeah. character in Blade Runner. Oh. Well, what's kind of mind blowing for somebody my age uh, is that Christopher Lloyd, I mean, this is pre Back to the Future. <laughs> oh, right. It was you about know? a year before. Yeah, a year one or two year before. before yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, so he was fresh off Taxi at this point. 
Yeah, that was everybody. I, I can remember hearing somebody in the theater behind me. Oh, that's that guy from Taxi. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that was the only thing we knew him for. And that was all comedy. So he we'd never seen him play a, such a heavy. Yeah. And I think with the makeup, he, he just came off great. I agree. I, I love him as a villain. Uh, well, I kind of want to transition a little bit and talk about Leonard Nimoy. Uh, I looked through his directing credits, and as you said, this was his first directorial debut. Uh, he also directed The Voyage Home and Three Men and a Baby, which I completely forgot about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I forgot that yep. he directed that. So that was that's awesome. Um, he has played the Spock character uh, in five different decades. Wow. Can you believe that? From the 70s to you know, the 2010s. 60s. 60s, actually. Oh, yeah. It was 19, yeah, 1968. Oh, was oh yeah, because he was, if, he's one of the only guys that was in the, was he in the pilot? No. He was in both pilots. There were two pi- pilots. Oh, okay, okay, okay. The, yeah, the cage when they had Jeffrey Hunter as the captain, as Captain Pike. That's right. And, that, mm-hmm. and then after that, that went on like three years when NBC scrapped it and then they made history and said, oh, we'll do a second pilot. And that was, I guess, maybe 68, I think, when that. Yeah, so, yeah, he's he had a long and running career. Yeah. Um, I liked, you know, oh, man, I, I have to say Leonard Nimoy's death, that's probably one of the worst celebrity deaths for me ever. <laughs> I, it I'd hit me that, harder, hardest probably yeah, than I got, anyone else. I, I got pretty smashed at a bar that night when I heard that. <laughs> that was that was pretty depressing. Yeah. Because... Uh, Considering I've met him in person, and he's one of the few characters that I've met in person, and of the original series, and that I hold so dear. So yeah, that's you know that's I guess that's his cycle of life. I mean, we lost DeForest Kelly and James Doohan as well. So I mean, it's um, yeah. I've been going to Star Trek conventions since I was. Th- those were the first conventions that I went to. Um, I think the first one I went to was around twelve or thirteen. And it was to see, um, I think William Shatner was there. And, uh, you know, I, I went to them for years, way before I went to, like, anime and comic conventions. And so, yeah, I saw, you know, DeForest Kelly pass away, James Duhon, um, and those were always really tough. Oh, and Grace Lee Whitney, too. Yeah, she yeah. passed She passed about five years ago, I think. She was the, actually the first one that I met in 1975 at a small little convention in Houston and and uh, I think I probably had more I probably spent more time talking to her than any other star since then at any convention because she was just so friendly and I guess I was probably 13 years old at the time Aww. so she just got the biggest kick out of all the questions I was asking <laughs> so me and my friend just hung out there with her and the guy she was dating at the time and they were in full you know long hair you know peace and love outfits so got her to sign my jacket i had so it was it was nice so yeah her passing was kind of sad but but she you know she made a great comeback i mean she had a she lived a pretty rough she had a pretty rough time for a couple for a couple decades but once she got back into the into the star trek movies and you know you know she ended up making a big difference you know doing helping a lot of people with um you know, rehabilitation from uh, rehabilitating from alcohol and drug abuse. Oh, you know, I didn't know that. Been, she'd, yeah, she'd been through a lot of that herself in the late after she left the original series and up oh. until the about the time the Star Trek the motion picture came out. And oh, wow. She was real candid about it. A lot like Carrie Fisher was very candid about some of her addictions and 
so forth. And but talking about it helps a lot of people, you know, oh, when they sure. say, hey, yeah, there is a way out. She lived to be, I think, 80, maybe 81 years old. So she had a she had a good long life. Yeah. All, all of them are tough. I remember Carlos Monteblanc, too. And uh, but yeah, but with uh, with Leonard Nimoy specifically, I think that's probably the only death from like the Star Trek franchise where I was literally like crying. <laughs> I was pretty oh. upset. I, I felt like I knew him and he just always came across as such a kind soul. And you can you can really feel that in I think in the way the direction of the movies that he had a hand in went like, for instance, the plot of this movie is very, it's more focused on emotion and relationships. And it always felt like that meant a lot to him. And so I really, I I think that's why I felt so connected, like when he, when he passed, but I, I had a tweet, his final tweet that he posted four days. Oh yes. I remember that one. Yeah. He's (laughs) talking, Grandpa says, "Don't smoke." Something like that. Oh that no, no, I, no! It was the one where he was telling people he was saying, "Yeah, don't." Maybe I got it wrong. We can edit that one out. Oh no, worries. <laughs> uh, no, the one that I have uh, is that. Um, so his final tweet posted four days before his death was, "A life is like a garden. Perfect moments can be had, but not preserved except in memory. Live long and prosper." Oh. That was... oh. Final, final. Yeah, that's that's sad. You know, one of the things I remember him saying when he took on the direct Star Trek four, he said, we're turning this. This is going to be totally positive. We're not going to have any we're not going to blow anything up. We're not going to have any death. And it's going to be a fun ride. He was real adamant about doing that in the fourth Mm. movie because the first, you know, two and three had, you know, we haven't gotten into the details yet, but there's a lot of spoilers yet to come. Yeah, and and I uh, when I was watching the behind the scenes, they were talking about the Wrath of Khan, the search for Spock, and then the voyage home. They're they're kind of like their own trilogy within the six movie franchise. And I'd never really thought of it that way, oh, but definitely. it makes a lot of sense, you know, seeing it again. Um, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, I, well, could, I, oh, go oh, ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, because the Enterprise is an important character. It's the it's one of the most important characters of the of the series, if you, you, you kind of realize it's, it's, uh, I guess you, you know, people, we anthropomorphize ships and vehicles, but this one's like, you know, the most iconic of, of that. Uh, and seeing her getting really torn up in Star Trek two, the Wrath of Khan. And, you know, you never saw that in a TV series, never even got a scratch on it. You know, they, they take <laughs> yeah. hits, the shields would absorb it. And then at limping home in the beginning of Star Trek three and heading to space dock and, you know, just defeated the crew hurt wondering, you know, what's the next step while she's going to be decommissioned that, you know, that emotionally you're like, Oh man, when you're in the, I remember being in the theater, it's like, Oh, what the heck's going to happen now? You know, it's kind of, it's kind of a downer when you see that, but they really, the way they played that off, it just, uh, you know, by, well, I don't want to go. I'll let you. Sorry, oh, rewind. No, you're I'm totally getting fine. off into the details. No, not at all. Not at all. It's, like I said, very conversational. You're totally fine. I, I think we can jump in, though. I think I think we should start talking about uh, the opening. I, I was going to say one thing that I really like about this movie is that it, it starts by recapping um, the most you know poignant scene from the last movie, and they work recapping the film into the plot pretty well to where you don't feel like it's too redundant. But if you haven't seen 
the Wrath of Khan, you could still enjoy this movie. And I thought that was pretty smart. And it also has the first recap by Kirk himself. Typically, in all the other movies and in the show, that whole, like, Stardate blog thing was a little more removed and impersonal. But in this Mm -hmm. movie, you know, it's the first time Kirk is doing it himself. And it seemed like from then on, uh, Star Trek really... Uh, decided to go with that instead and I I think I like that change and it's funny because you know I've seen so many movies with that uh, you know that uh, Stardate blog from the captain himself that I didn't Mm -hmm. even notice that you know before this movie we didn't have that but I think it's a great choice yeah yeah and they really the the very beginning sequence where they're rehashing the very end the scene in engineering but then again, whenever later in the movie, you get another kind of rehash because they're playing a flight recorder. So in a sense, they kind of worked it in two ways and worked it into the story. Mm-hmm. When and when Sarek comes to visit, and asks Kirk, "Why did you leave Spock?" and he goes back and, "Oh, well, yeah, I guess we'll get to that later." Oh no, you're fine. Kind of getting ahead of us. Well, did you know the when the the space dock scene? That model, the model of the space dock, this is is actual live prop, and that was 10 feet tall. Oh, wow. And the space doors themselves were 12 foot by 12 foot, and they were motorized doors that they had so that they could sync them up with the camera Mm -hmm. pass through. This is still in the days when they're using real, you know, models and props and and blue screen, not green Mm -hmm. screen, it was blue screen. And there wasn't a lot of CG, there wasn't any CGI. So that's... That's another thing, just at the special effects side of this, is is just amazing for the time. Yeah, and I, I like the, uh, I guess, like, the mood in that first scene, too, because, you know, like they say, oh, after 20 years, we're, we're uh, putting, putting uh, or decommissioning the Enterprise, as you mentioned. And, I mean, that's 20 years after the show, too, right? Like, it's kind of mm-hmm. lining up with that. And just, um, you know, they were mentioning in the commentary that technology changes so fast. And even in real life, you know, ships don't last that long and neither do jets and, and other big mm-hmm. equipment like that. Eventually they retire them. But, but like you said, there's a big emotional attachment. It's almost like saying goodbye to the old franchise in a way. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, also with the crew, you know, uh, feeling that way too because they're older now. And, you know, it, and it seems like Starfleet... It respects them, but isn't treating them the way they did in their heyday. You know, like, right. go ahead, go ahead. Exactly, exactly. The Admiral just saying, hey, you consider, the they're asking about Genesis. He's, no, you got to consider this a forbidden topic and not talk about it. And mm-hmm. It's classified. Just basically saying, just shut up, do what we tell you. Yeah. And, the, and then the scene in the transporter room when uh, Nichelle Nichols, I mean, the look she gives, it's classic. And she's got the young lieutenant oh, in the yeah. transporter room, and he's telling her, you know, this may be fine for you, your career winding down, and she just gives <laughs> him this look. That was great. I mean, that was that was greatness. Yeah, absolutely. Said, yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. Oh no, no. I uh, I was gonna say, which what next scene did you want to talk about? Okay. Well, here's when Kirk goes to um, ask for the Enterprise to. Is that Admiral Cartwright? I can't remember. I know they've changed admirals a couple times on this, but that particular actor, I think he was playing the role of Admiral. Either way, Starfleet, he's head of Starfleet. Okay. Kurt goes in and asks him, he says, like to take the Enterprise out, you know, go back to the Genesis planet. 
And the animal's like, no, Jim, keep this behavior up. He says, your, your career and your life is one of uh, rationality, not intellectual chaos. If you keep up this behavior, you're going to destroy yourself and your career. And then he says, well, I had to ask. And he walks out, check off and Sulu walk up next to him. And they're heading for the elevator to leave the space dock bar. They go, the word admiral. And he says, the word is no, I'm therefore going anyway. And that was classic. That was yeah. classic. That was classic Kirk. I mean, played that is what the character of Kirk would have done. He would not have taken no for an answer. So, Absolutely. And that I think is someone who grew up on the series and really seen the series a lot. I, there was, I don't think there was any wavering from any of the characters, what their true character was in any of these movies. Yeah. They stay very done. consistent. Yeah. Sark paid a visit to um, Kirk when he was having kind of a, a wake for Spock and the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. And he said, asked everybody to leave the room and he mind melded with Kirk and then realized Spock's Katra wasn't there. And he, so he explains to Kirk that it's the Vulcan way to mind meld with another when they know the body's end is near. And he expected mm. Spock to have, done, to have performed that ritual. And he said, no, I couldn't reach him. I couldn't touch him. He was glass separating us. So they checked a flight recorder and he sees he mind melded with McCoy. And then at that moment, you know, Sarek said, well, one alive and one not, but both in pain. He said, you must bring them to Mount Soleil on Vulcan. So Kirk says, said, believe you me, no matter what, I'll get them there. I mean, he was he was dead set at that moment, no matter what he was going to do it. Then the next scene was the one I was telling you about in the okay. um in the space dock bar where he's asking for the ship, but of course gets told no and decides to go anyway. Yeah. And it's like a really noble, you know, thing that he's doing. He wants to lay his friend to rest and use the ship to do it. And they're like, no. <laughs> yeah. He even said, well, I'll hire a ship. He says, no, don't even do this. You know, you're, we've they got to give him no choice. He's got to yeah, break the rules. Said, <laughs> exactly. Cause he said the planet's quarantined. This, the whole quadrant's quarantined. You're not allowed, you know, we're not letting any ships go there. Yeah. I think the uh, and then of course the stealing of the Enterprise scene is probably the best. Probably it's my favorite scene in all of the Star Trek history of which really there's so many movies you got to call it history. Right. That's probably my yeah. That's my favorite scene of all. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, even with Scotty trying to do the work and Kirk standing over him, he's like, "Now, <laughs> Scotty," he goes, "Sir," he's like, "The doors, Scotty, the doors." He goes, "Hi, I'm working on it. I'm working on it." You know? <laughs> I mean, that whole interaction is just, you know, very, you know, it's like what you would expect, you know, the, the captain wanting to get things done, the engineer just trying to work it out. It's like, yeah, it's going to happen. And then just pulls it off at the last minute, gets the space dock doors open and the the engine nacelles just glide by almost about to scratch the paint on their way out. Mm -hmm. And the music, the music's fantastic in this in this movie. Oh, I mean, I agree. The, the, the drama, the rise in the music as the ship's backing out and. And uh, uh, and then Captain Styles, the guy who uh, the commander of the Excelsior, mm -hmm. who gets orders to pursue the Enterprise when they're stealing it. That guy was in uh, Cop and Hill Street Blues. Oh wow! At the time in the '80s, so he had the guy. I cannot remember that actor's name, but really did a great job in that role. And you know, when giving Kirk the ultimatum, he's leaving, and he said, and he just he doesn't call him back. Captain says, Kirk, you do this, and you'll never sit in the captain's chair again. Kirk just ignores him and says warp speed 
you know, that kind of commitment to his friend, it was over, you know, he was throwing away his entire career in Starfleet and what have you just to, to, um, to save Spock. Well, and there's like a little Easter egg, right? Doesn't he call, um, I guess the code name for Enterprise, the Kobayashi Maru? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's great. That, that's, that, that's a cool detail you picked up. That's from the, the Star Trek two. Mm-hmm. The Kobayashi Maru was the the no, no win, win scenario yep. test. Yeah, they he said that was their code whenever they were talking, getting ready to steal the Enterprise. Yeah, I think he said Unit One to Unit Two, Kobayashi Maru set sail for the Promised Land, and then McCoy goes, "You're taking me to the Promised Land," and he's like, "Yeah, what are friends for?" <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. And I think I think I probably noticed that more this time because in the reboot movies. Uh, um, with you know Chris Pine and them, uh, ah, the, remember the Kobayashi Marus in, in the first one of those movies too. So yeah, they went ahead. And, yeah, they went ahead and reenacted the whole scene they had been alluding to that he did where he cheated on the test in Starfleet Academy. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, they did. That was I, I thought that was a great job in that movie pulling that together. That's mm-hmm. those little scenes and some other scenes that come in Star Trek Three that tie back into the original series. I think is what made it a lot more meaningful for those of us diehard fans. Um, <clears throat> so I guess what, what's the, let's see, we, we've gotten to the stealing the enterprise. How about mm-hmm. you? Where's your, what's your take on the next scene and progression? So um, I was going to say the next scene that uh, I guess af- right after, right after stealing the, uh, the enterprise is when they're on Genesis, uh, the Klingons capture Marcus and Savick. Yeah. Did you want, kind of want to talk a little bit about that scene? I think that they capture them right as, oh, because Spock, they've already found Spock when they, because um, Savick and David were on the USS Grissom, mm-hmm. uh, named after, actually named after an astronaut, Gus oh, Grissom. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Who di- died in Apollo 1. The oh. Fire, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just want to give a shout out to him because I actually oh, went to his... Yeah, I went to his, uh, there's a memorial for him in Seabrook, Texas that I went to one time for the three astronauts that passed away. It was him, Roger Chaffee, and Ed White. But I thought that was really cool that they had a a starship named after him. But so the Klingons destroy the Grissom after, while um, Savick and David are down searching for what this life form is. And initially, they come across Spock's coffin or torpedo tube that they had launched in there and had soft landed. And only found bacteria that were overgrowing from the Genesis effect. Eventually, they find young Spock, who keep who's, and then David explains his aging's tied to the planet because he used proto matter, supposedly unethical use of a unstable substance. So the planet's aging as they're, and then think uh, the Klingons catch up with them about the time Spock's probably aged to about. About twenty, seventeen to twenty, somewhere. Yeah, because he's going that. through Ponfar, right? When yes, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. we got a PG Ponfar on the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mercifully, no. Yeah, um, mercifully. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you think about the recasting of Savick? Do you do you like her in this film? How how do you, how do you think it compares to Kirstie Alley's performance? I think Kirstie Alley brought a little more, you could see a little more of the rage and because she's supposedly half Romulan, half Vulcan. That oh, was that's the, right. The backstory yeah. of the character and Romulans embrace the, their emotions and their rage. And 
but yet the Vulcan ways to repress those. But I mean, you know, when Spock passed at the end, you could see the, you know, almost a near tear coming to her eye. Mm-hmm. And think about Kirstie Alley. You know, she lost her mother during the filming of that movie. Oh, I didn't she know had, that. Yeah, she had to keep shooting. She knew her mother wouldn't want her to bail on the movie because this was her first break in Hollywood. Oh, but, wow. But yeah, she's, she she spoke about that. So I, I really, I, I was endeared to that character and that actress. Still am. I think, I think she's a sweetheart. But, you know, they recast Robin Curtis and she... I guess she went ahead and went with the eyebrows. That was the other thing. They didn't really have the, the makeup on the Savick in Star Trek Two to look either too Romulan or too Vulcan. It's yeah. A softer. But, yeah, Robin Curtis ran with it. And if you look at some of the interviews she does in the DVD extras, uh, she had a hard time getting the concept of no emotion and still trying to communicate. And that's where she said Leonard Nimoy really coached her real well on that and he'd have to stop her and say no no you don't do it that way you know yeah that's interesting you know i kind of forgot that savik was half romulan and so she definitely came across way more vulcan in this one so i was kind of thinking like oh she's playing it better but now that you say that it it really she should have been a little more emotional in a way huh i'm Mm -hmm. gonna have to go back and watch rathacon again not that you have to twist my arm to make me do that no no but yeah it's (laughs) there's a little yeah you can definitely see Definitely see it even in the, her opening scene in Wrath of Khan when she's on the doing the Kobayashi Maru test. Uh-huh. You know she's a little bit irritated with Sulu, and you can see that. You know it, it shows through. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay. Yeah, I need to go back and watch it again. Clearly, um, let's see. Well, what's your? Well, if we're going chronologically, what's your next? I mean, what's your favorite scene in this? I'm just curious because again, you're. You're coming at this. You're the future of carrying the legacy of fandom on. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm 56 years old. I've got a, I've got probably 30 years left in me, maybe if I'm lucky. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Well, let me look. I'm kind of looking through the scenes. I just don't want to skip something too far ahead. Um, I oh. agree. I think I think when they steal the ship, um, I really like that part. Um, and then on the Genesis planet, I, I felt like I needed that recap where they kind of sort of re-explain to you. Uh, what's going on there and then how they find Spock and, you know, you kind of get it right away. And I remembered Ponfar. Okay. So they capture them, but then I guess they go. And Kirk shows up. Yeah. yeah Kirk shows up. And uh, I guess does that intimidates Krug or he just doesn't yeah, want to deal with he wants Yeah. He wants to go up and see what's going on. So he beams back up to the Klingon ship and they're cloaked. And so he's just waiting on the inter. You know, they're they're thinking the Enterprise is going to fall right into their trap, and they're going to capture the Enterprise because now they've got another starship where they can take the Genesis plans right out of their data banks. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Krug says, but of course, Kirk, enough is a, a battle hardened soldier as well as a Starfleet officer. They figure out that's a cloaked cloaked bird of prey, and they're ready for them. And that's the Enterprise's last uh, last breath of life to try and disable that Klingon ship and leads to, you know, the inevitable end of her. Man, how did that feel in the theater seeing that for the first time? That was, that was rough. I mean, getting, when it got disabled and they couldn't do anything, the ship was dead in the water. You're like, what the heck? And then that's, <laughs> that leads into the scene with where Krug says, I've got three prisoners on the planet below. And he says, you give me the plans to Genesis and I'll spare their lives. Otherwise I'll kill one. And, 
Kirk's like, well, wait a minute. I don't have, who are you to take prisoners? And then Krug says, kill one. I don't care which. So he immediately gives the order. And then, you know, Kirk's son, who he has just met in the last movie that he really didn't know about, know that well, and just came to know him, is, is executed by the Klingons. Or he allows himself to be executed because if you really, if you watch closely, you can see the Klingons walking behind the three people, you know, the young Spock, David, and Savick, and his knife's going to go down onto Savick, the back of her head. David jumps the guy, jumps the Klingon, wrestling match ensues, and the Klingon overpowers him and wins. Mm, I guess like father, and, like son, huh? He kinda... Yeah, and that scene, actually, that was another Nimoy had talked about that Shatner actually made that decision to fall back, to stumble backward. You don't know. He, he says, I... He said it was a brave choice of him to do that, but I think it really was appropriate for that scene, you know, for mm-hmm. what the emotional impact. That, that was this movie had some took you on an emotional roller coaster, you know. For sure, yeah. At one yeah. point, you see them, you know, you're cheering them on because they're stealing the Enterprise, they're bucking authority because they want to save their friend. Next moment, you know, Kirk's son loses his life, and then the Enterprise is hanging you know, like a derelict with the Klingon ship off its uh, off its bow. <clears throat> I think the most it's that neck the next scene though ties right to the original series when you wonder what's the next thing up Kirk's sleeve after he yeah. gets his moment of grief and he says I can tell you we're not done fighting yet and they pull out the you know computer set auto destruct and it's exact word for word as one of the original series episodes how oh, they really? go th- oh yeah if you go back it's the one it's the episode where there's uh, two aliens, the last of their species. One is half black, half white. And the other's oh, okay, half white, I remember that black. one. Yeah. That one, and they're fighting on the ship. And Kirk's like, ah, you guys don't stop. I'm just going to blow up the ship. And he runs through that. They, Helm, Spock, and Scotty run through that auto-destruct sequence. And I think there's it, at 10 seconds to the end of the 60-second countdown, you can abort. But after that, you're done. Yeah. Of course, in Star Trek Three, they just let it run out. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, let that be your last battlefield. That's the name of the Star Trek episode. Oh, okay, okay. I'm gonna have to check that, that out again. Yeah, no, I I remember yeah. some of that episode, but I think I need to go back and see it again. I did. Yeah, and a little, and at the guy who played the Riddler in the original Batman is the one who was in that episode. Actually, yeah, one of the bad guys. yeah, <laughs> oh. he, yeah. He looked like him. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Sorry, I can digress on a lot oh, of the no, 60s fine. nostalgia. <laughs> Go for it. But yeah, that was... And then destroying the Enterprise. Yeah, that 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 irked a lot of fans, but it left you like, wow, you know, what else is left now? How What's going to happen now? They, But it, it was a great trick. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole transporter switching where the, they beam down to the planet as the Klingons beamed in, that also kind of has a little bit of similarity to... The Day of the Dove, an original series episode where Kirk was engaged, was uh, got caught up with some Klingons, and it was Kang actually. And oh, okay. he said, Kang said, "No tricks, Kirk." He goes, "No tricks till till we're on the ship." And when they beam up, only the landing party beams in, and the Klingons are still in in the transporter buffer. And then <laughs> they materialize them and or take their weapons from them. So yeah, it's a Kirk tricking the Klingons. I mean, they yeah. really they really went into a lot of backstory detail, which uh, I think that, you know, again, because 
back then we didn't, there wasn't social media. There wasn't a lot of forums for discussing all these type of uh, finer points of movies. So this is all the people at Paramount and the writers and Mm -hmm. actors coming up with all this to keep the fans engaged as well as bring in a, a new audience. Right. And, and to have the benefit of Leonard Nimoy, you know, I'm sure he remembers filming all those episodes and being in them. And so, I mean, you know, he's, he's a great resource uh, for, for a lot of this stuff too. Yeah. I think even in the, by that time, I think they still, they still had access to some of their writers from the original series mm. and, and plus, Fans who get involved in the, you know, like ILM, a lot of those guys at ILM, I'm sure they grew up watching Star Trek. Yeah, know? yeah. Well, okay, so so after that, um, do you want to talk about the next part of the movie? So, he, yeah, he's, so we've gotten to the point where um, he, you know, we've lost the Enterprise, and then it kind of kicks off into the last part of the movie, right? Right, because then it's the question of Kirk having to his whole team, everybody's there on the Genesis planet, mm-hmm. and the Klingons who all beamed away. over to the Enterprise, <laughs> they died, and because the Enterprise blew up, burns in the atmosphere, and Kirk's like, "My God, Bones, what have I done?" And <laughs> and that line, he says, "What you've always done, turn death into a fighting chance to live," and so that's basically they're running against the clock, the planet's breaking up. Mm-hmm. They find Spock and Savick and, you know, and then right at that moment, then the Klingon commander, you know, Kirk takes the communicator of one of the Klingons that they killed and calls the Klingon commander and tells him, hey, sorry about my ship blowing up on you. You know, my bad. But <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and of course, Christopher Lloyd's character beams beams back down and wants to have it out with them right there. Mm hmm. And then they beam onto the Klingon ship, right? Yeah, he be, the Klingon commander beams up everybody except Spock, who's lying unconscious um, with the mind of a boy, as um, McCoy said, and um, and the Klingon commander. So the three of them are there, and then of course Kirk and the Klingon just fight it out, you know, duke it out as the planet's breaking apart around them. As he say that he's trying to convince Krug, look, if we don't help each other, we're going to die. And he's and the Klingon says, then that's the way it'll be. You know, he's, yeah. he wants the, he wanted the he wanted the power of Genesis, and he said if he didn't get it, he was going to die there, and he didn't care who he'd take with him. Yeah, but, it's not exactly the Klingon way to be like, hmm, let me reconsider. <laughs> and no, retreat. No, you but, know. <laughs> no, that was. I think that was probably that's probably pretty darn good. That was a well done fight scene, and mm-hmm. then the final. Shatner being Shatner, his, you know, uh, the way he's so expressive and the, when he, the Klingon commander falls and is like about to fall off a cliff and Kirk's trying to help him and the guy stick grabs his foot, knocks mm-hmm. Kirk on his back and Kirk just takes his foot and kicks him. This one time <laughs> he says, I have had enough of you, you know, just his, <laughs> just the way he expressed himself there. And, uh, that was, that was great. And then the, um, of course, then he's stuck down there. How does he get out of there? He remembered the few Klingon words that say, bring me up. And and then we're on to the, you know, that's pretty much wraps up the, the drama and battle part. And then. Yeah. So, so Kirk then beams back up, you said, by uh, using the Klingon words for beam me up. And then uh, the next part is 
Spock getting reunited um, with his Katra, right? Yeah, and which is yeah, this the mystic side of the Vulcans, which you'll later, I guess, which later is touched on in Star Trek: Deep Space Nine and in Enterprise, the mm-hmm. series Enterprise, pretty strongly in Enterprise, but. Yeah, the fact that Vulcans are able to, you know, transfer their using the the Vulcan mind meld something similar to that transfer most all of their memory engrams into another into another being. They use that a lot in Discovery too. Yeah, that was the the Katra that they yeah the connection yeah. between yeah if you yeah that's and that all came from this movie right like that's mm-hmm. kind of where the this is where, where it started, started. Yeah. yeah this is where they started that whole concept started to bridge star trek 2 to star trek 3 and they created a um i guess a, a way to a suspension of disbelief by having you know you already know the vulcans mind meld they can share memories share emotions why not be able to just dump the whole thing if you mm-hmm. had to and it Almost seems like that'd be a good survival mechanism. No you know? kidding. <laughs> At the very least, to pass on your knowledge to the next, yeah. uh, to the next generation. Well, um, well, yeah. So we got through that kind of quick. <laughs> so let's well, go yeah, back. The, well, go ahead. Yeah, the the Kirk Kirk line is it Maltz Choichu? I mean, you're, that's the Klingon language. That's a whole. We, we could probably do a whole episode on the fact that they developed an entire language yeah, from this movie course. and the next. <laughs> yes and, and there's actually an article you you can put this on the podcast or not but in i think it was 1990 or 90 no, maybe 92 the wall street journal had an article and it had Worf's picture from star trek on it and under that the article said there were in the whole world there's about 120,000 people at that time that spoke esperanza you oh my remember gosh. Her, but there were 250,000 people who spoke fluent klingon so a language that was made in europe to try and unite europe (laughs) that's unsuccessful but but yet klingon (laughs) that was pretty funny but but yeah that was i think that actually added to the movie's impact is having you know what started out was just a few sentences from star trek the motion picture that mark leonard play uh spoke in the opening scenes of that movie as a klingon uh developed into a pretty full guttural language mm-hmm. that uh yeah because they didn't have the language in the uh in the original series right no they didn't they alluded to it a couple times but you never heard it spoken you oh, okay. just assumed it was the universal translators taking care of that yeah. well cool did you have any more uh notes that you wanted to kind of throw in about the movie before we wrap up oh let's see i had a Oh, yeah, the originally, did you know, originally they wanted to use uh, Hawaii for the Genesis planet. And they were all hoping for a trip there because Paramount had already given <laughs> them a whole lot of money for this since oh, they knew yeah. it was, you know, they built, they built new starships. They built, like I said, the space station, the space mm-hmm. dock doors, and a uh, lot, you know, brushed up on their sets. But because they needed more control and they were going to have to have this planet go through various life cycle stages and eventually destroy it. They said, well, we can't really burn pretty forests in Hawaii. So they had to go with the sound stage. 
Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's filmed on a few different sound stages, right? There's like two or three, but the movie doesn't feel that way. It, it doesn't feel like too closed in or anything like that, like you would expect it to, like knowing no, that. Yeah, you're right, because they're, I mean, they had one of the sound stages was solely the Genesis planet. Then you mm-hmm. had the sets for the, the, the Klingon bridge and the bridge of the Enterprise, the space dock. Yeah, they... Uh, that's a that's a lot of guys doing con- a lot of construction. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> a lot of tearing down sets and rebuilding. Yeah, yeah. No, and and, and I think it was really successful in in that sense. Well, yeah. In the the final scene after the you know the Vulcan oh the Vulcan high priestess uh, is Dame Judith Anderson. She was actually have you ever seen the it comes out every Easter, the 10 commandments with Charlton Heston. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. She was the, the, the handmaid member oh, to, okay. to Nefertiri who pulled Moses out of the water and she I kept see. the secret. She's the one who knew that, it, you know, this is not an Egyptian child. And mm. she's the one that was later killed. I, Cause it, it took years. I kept one time I was watching Star Trek. Two, why does her voice sound familiar? Every time I see this movie, <laughs> And then I think I had been watching Star Trek three somewhere near around Easter. And then I flipped over and then 10 commandments was on. And there you go. I heard the voice again. I went, wait a minute, looked at the credits. and I'm like, I'll be darned. That's, the, that's so she, in her later last part of her career, she plays a Vulcan high priestess. Yes. Yeah, so she was 87 at the time after taking a 14 year acting break. So mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. Yeah. But her voice, no, it stayed solid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very effective. And so after that, then Spock, you know, that realization of who he is when he's with Kirk and that that final scene was just really, yeah, that was really emotional. And then the ending and it, I think the last end, the human adventure continues. And then it's like, wow, you know, it's not over. Because, yeah. you know, after Star Trek 2, you thought it was over. But that one little line at the end, I remember a uh, buddy I'm with, he's like stood up, both hands up, like, yeah. And then the whole theater goes up after that. It was, you, know, you got to imagine when you don't have any of this on TV and all you had is the movies. And when you get a really good one like that, it just really brought the house down, as they used to say. Man, that's so great to hear. You know, when, when I started kind of being like, I guess when my trickiness started and then for a long time. So I was like, I think 12 or 13, it was like in the... I think it was the later years of DS9 and Voyager. It was kind of when Star mm-hmm. Trek was really winding down. Like I remember going to uh going to conventions and I started off going to Star Trek ones and they slowly mm-hmm. turned into Star Wars ones because mm-hmm. uh the prequels were coming out and the right. prequels were really overshadowing slash pushing aside. I mean, this was Star Trek was starting to get really old school. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even in the movies, like, you know, the cast is older. Like, I I really felt like it was starting to die off. (laughs) I'm so thankful that it's not now. Yeah, by about six. I I remember that. I think that was one of the conventions I went to that I saw Leonard Nimoy at was in Denver, Colorado. It was right before Star Trek VI came out because he actually introduced, they had a trailer that was they per, were premiering the trailer to the movie at that one, and they even mentioned they said David Warner is going to be in this one. Like I tell you, what he's going to play, and the crowd went wild. So, I mean, they, people were crazy for it. I and that was 1990, I think, because I think 91 was when Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country came out. But that mm-hmm. was really 
their final big move. That was their final movie. Yeah. And that was the, you know, they all sign, you know, their signatures all come up at the end of it. But yeah. Yeah. That, you're right. And that was so about 1990, 91, 92. That was, that was really the sign of what it was winding down. And then next generation had the one episode with Spock in it shortly after that to kind of mm-hmm. coincide where he alluded oh, yeah, to his right. involvement in that movie. It's cowboy diplomacy with Kirk. He alluded to that with Picard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, yeah, I forgot that, that, that. Yeah. That was kind of when it was winding down, but yet they were still trying to milk it. I mean, they had one Voyager. See, Next Generation went off the air in 95, and I think Deep Space Nine went off the air. Was it? I think there were seven maybe? or eight seasons. So Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, yeah there was, I think, so. Uh, yeah, they all. All of those three series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, all went seven years, I think. Yeah. I, I remember being kind of bummed, though, that, like, the Next Generation, the movies didn't take off the same way. Like, you know, we had Generations, First Contact, um, and then the ones after that, it, it really felt like it wound, it wound down a little bit, too. Like, I was yeah. kind of hoping for, like, six of those, you know? Like, and it just it yeah. didn't happen, so... Well, let Marina Sirtis, you know, listen to her talk. She'll... <laughs> She puts it all on the line. She bl- she blames it. Uh, she blames Jonathan Franks for insurrection. <laughs> <laughs> I've but heard no, her first, speak before. She's awesome. She's yeah. so sweet. First contact was great, and so oh, yeah. was I think the Nemesis. I mean, it wrapped it up real good. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's going to make a revival now. Yeah. Heard, well, so. it's in flux right now. I don't know if you've heard, but uh, Chris Pine and uh, Chris Hemsworth have kind of walked away from negotiations. So. Star Trek Four is kind of it's it's up in the air right now. I really hope that they uh, come to their senses and pay Chris Pine whatever he asks for, though. <laughs> so we well, can get another Dis- one. Discovery's doing a good job, I think. I yeah, mean, they definitely they're pulling, and then you're going to have a new one, Star Trek Reliant, as well. Yeah, with a Picard coming with back. Picard. Yeah, so. yeah. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. <laughs> so getting 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 Star Trek back on the television i think is important as as the movies because you can Mm -hmm. get smaller doses and you know weekly series you can get more character development in the movie that i think that was the biggest strength of star trek 3 is that you already had the character development if you'd followed the series and even watched one of the other movies you've got a really good understanding of these characters internal motivation it would almost be just like reading a book and being able to read what they're thinking and what they're feeling you can almost already understand that in the movie without you know yeah definitely and i think star trek was probably one of the first franchises to do something like this right to really pull Mm -hmm. on all that nostalgia and your memory and and a fan that's very dedicated to the show and they would be able to pick up on all these easter eggs that you mentioned when we were talking about the movie Mm -hmm. it makes it really rewarding and I think I think it was the first show to do that. I mean, to come back after 20 years and reboot these movies, I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's right. I think the next big franchise that was on television about the same time as Star Trek uh, that uh, had a movie reboot was uh, Tom Cruise doing Mission Impossible in mm-hmm. 1996. Yeah, when yeah. That one came out. He even had the same music, just jazzed it up a little bit. and yeah, uh, loved I've, I've I've loved I've loved every one of those. I Me mean, too. I, and they did a they did an attempt. Uh, William Hurt did an attempt at Lost in Space, but yeah, there's. And then of course Robin Williams did Popeye. So you know they're bringing <laughs> all of them. <laughs> you know, they, 
if they can do it, they'll do it. Yeah. Well, I think that brings us to our last couple of questions, unless you had a couple more notes you wanted to run over. Oh, no, no. no? Okay. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> well, uh, what keeps you coming back to this movie specifically? Because you had six to choose from, but you chose three. Why, why this movie specifically? I think it's the there's a rebellious nature to it that it's, you know, which has always been the strength of the character of James T. Kirk. Mm -hmm. He's known to bend the prime directive and, you know, say, you know, save somebody at any cost, even if it's not the thing that Starfleet would want him to do. Uh, the, the loyalty side, the, the, the characters all have this strong bond. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the, it's, it's got some action in it. It's not a total action movie, but it, it's got enough at the right points to really keep you engaged. And, uh, I think, yeah, I think that's, that's it. I, like I said, my, one of my favorite scenes is I'm stealing the enterprise. So I guess it goes back to maybe my rebel rebellious nature that, you know, sometimes (laughs) you just gotta, you know, turn your thumb up to the, to authority and do what's right. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I think it's a good, End cap to the last movie because, you know, Spock made his the ultimate sacrifice. And then he said, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And Kirk really turns that on its head in this movie because he's like, no, like you are worth more to me. And everyone on that ship was willing to throw their life down for Spock. And I just think that's such a touching message that, you know, one person is worth a lot. You can't measure the worth of one person. And I felt like this movie captured that pretty well and oh yeah yeah and it's definitely one of the strongest i think out of the out of the six it's hard for me to pick a favorite to be honest with you i don't know it it may be the wrath of khan or it might be the voyage hope i don't know it's really hard they're 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 all really good um or most of them are really good (laughs) well voyage home of course that's the the best part about that is that it wraps like you said it wraps up this kind of central trilogy Mm -hmm. of two, three, and then four. And then their reward at the end of all their journeys and struggles is they finally come home and they get a rechristened enterprise. Yeah. (laughs) And again, that's another scene that surprised the heck out of everybody in the theaters because you don't, you don't get any of that in the previews. There was never any, any worldwide web for any spoilers to get out. (laughs) <laughs> rumors just rumors and you walk into the movie theater the first time you see it and there, there's a certain magic i think that we've lost in movies because of too much spoiler too many spoilers out there yeah I if you haven't you. you know when you walk into a movie and you have no idea what you're about to see it can it's a it's more of an adventure but if you already kind of know some of the stuff because it's talked about a lot or you've seen you know too many previews that take it from too many different angles and you're like, Oh yeah, I saw that. I saw that. You're absolutely right. I I think it's a real struggle for, uh, for studios because on the one hand, by leaking a picture here and there and, three minute teaser trailers which i'm always like they call them teaser trailers but they're so long i'm like mm-hmm. it's three it's like, minutes yeah it's like is that really a teaser uh but 
But they kind of have to do that to get people to go to the theater because now there's so many movies and, and seeing a movie is so expensive that it's like you almost want it to be a sure thing. But then the trade-off is you're not as surprised. You end up losing a lot of um, what you're talking about mm. where you used to be able to walk into a movie and just enjoy it and have not have any of that uh, spoiled for you. So, no, I, mm. I definitely see that. Um, what would you say to someone that hasn't seen this movie before? Uh, is this someone ever watched any of the Star Trek series or not? Or is um, it just somebody cold who's never been a science fiction fan? Yeah, let's pretend like this person, they just, they've never watched Star Trek and you're like, I'm going to pitch this movie to you. What do you think you would say? I'd say this is, well, you're looking at a, something that has an iconic history to it. So it's a pop, it's a pop culture icon. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's adventure. And it's about loyalty and friendship and, you know, I'd say, yeah, it, but you're saying without seeing Star Trek 2, you're just <laughs> jumping right into this movie. It does recap That's, a little that, bit. Yeah, so. it does recap a little. Yeah, that would, this movie would leave a lot of, uh, I mean, knowing, I know my wife would be asking me a hundred questions <laughs> before we got through <laughs> the first scene. So I'd say, we need to really watch Star Trek 2 first. <laughs> okay, Which so your answer watched. is watch Star Trek 2 and yeah, then this one. Yeah, watch Star Trek 2 and then this <laughs> one. Yes, yes. And so wh- what do you think about this one? Why would they need to see this one after 2, do you think? Like, why Why is this one important? Well, I think 2 sets a lot of the, sets a lot of the background of what's happened to the crew, you know, what they, how they've gotten to this point in their career and why they're willing to, you know, why they're willing to make this sacrifice. There's a lot of, you see the, the true, um, Kirk, Spock and McCoy bond and Star Trek II, the Rapicon as they're reunited in that one mm-hmm. and just how the crew all interacts and, you know, the teamwork and what they do to, you know, to, keep the Genesis device from falling into Khan's hands and, you know, that, and then the sacrifice is made there. And then that, then you've got that emotional trauma coming out of that movie. That's going to roll in and get some resolution in star Trek three. Like I said, they're almost, it's almost like jumping into a Harry Potter movie and, <laughs> at the order of the Phoenix and not watching any of the beginning, you know, that's, yeah. That's so you really kind of have to be a fan. I, I think that that's true about all these Star Trek movies, to be honest with you. I remember liking them a lot. But if you're not a Trekkie, I think it's it, these movies are they're for Trekkies. They're for fans. Yeah, the only one that I've ever seen that I... Because the first time I... First... My wife's not... Well, she used to not be a science fiction person. And I took her to see Star Trek Nemesis, and she was blown away. She loved oh, it. Really? She'd never seen... She'd never watched Next Generation, never watched the original series, except a little bit. Her brothers were big trekkers, so she kind of grew up on that. So then she said, well, i got to start seeing some of this. Let's kind of binge watch some of these. So I said, well, let's, why don't we just rewind and do all the Star Trek movies? So we watched those <laughs> from beginning to end and just loved those. And then uh, we tried to watch Enterprise together, but our schedules just don't seem to mesh on that. And I Enterprise really isn't, I don't know, I haven't been able to really binge watch this. I'll watch like three episodes with her and then we'll kind of fall off and something else will come up that we'd rather do. <laughs> so, but then there's, um, but yeah, we, we went, you know, I think every weekend we'd watch one or two Star Trek movies and yeah, she loved them. Yeah. I kind of think you have to get your foot in the door and then once you do, 
then it's a lot easier. But it is kind of a big universe, uh, and I oh, think it's intimidating yeah. to people sometimes. So I can understand that. Yeah, I mean, it's even the original series. You know, there's some episodes you can bring someone in that's a perfect leader episode, but you know that, and that, that's the thing. Episodic television, which is most of what the original series was is pretty easy you can just take one you know take it on face value for that one episode Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think i think what i would say is you know well i mean i do think that it helps being a trekkie but i think uh for those out there that you know star wars that franchise is is more accessible to everybody i think a little bit right because it's it's like cowboys in space it's Mm -hmm. fun it's adventure and star trek has always been a little bit harder sci-fi it's always been um you know more diplomatic and political and uh a lot of ideals and philosophies and you know what i mean it's a little more three word technical words (laughs) yeah a lot of jargon techno babble um but i don't know you know star trek has always resonated with me because of the overall message that you were talking about earlier just about you know uh acceptance and tolerance and peace and diplomacy right you know that's a, a big oh, yeah. part of starfleet they're not just this big uh they're not just this big war presence you know they, yeah, they want to get along not... with other people they want to seek out new civilizations right it's not that they're right. trying to conquer them and so right. i think that approach while that sounds less exciting i think that it's it's really optimistic and it's really uh positive you know they're not just going to a planet and punching aliens and getting out of there. It's like there's growth and there's um, learning. And I just think it's really cool. It's more of a, like, I guess, a scientist approach to it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And and less military. Yeah, yeah. How many people have been, how many stories, anecdotal stories you hear of people who've gone into medicine because of um, Star Trek having, or gone into, you know, space, you know, the NASA or into... The military, join the military because they want to be a part of a large organization that does relief efforts and mm-hmm. so forth. I mean, there's, there's a lot of... Um, yeah, things, a, oh, go oh, ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, you know, it's a really positive look at a big organization in a way that uh, it's not always portrayed. Or like, you know, there, there are people that definitely watch adventure stuff like Star Wars and they sign up to be a pilot. But I feel like Starfleet, it was a little more accessible, right? It, it, it mm-hmm. mirrored a little bit more our own world. It felt like like that's possible, like that's coming. And I, mm-hmm. think, I think that's why it inspired so many people to move into those fields. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, I think, I mean, a lot of the technology, the first, the Razor phone that came out in the late 90s, early 2000s, they purposely designed that after the communicator, the Star Trek oh, really? original series communicator. <laughs> this nerd, you know, oh, nerds yeah, who grew up on that. Huh? So, you know, yeah. make it look, and a lot of people went into, at the in the early 70s, there was uh, hobbyists building small computers, you know, barely had any memory but that was a big move that's what ended up leading to the apple macintosh was one hobbyist just really got good at it and hit on a personal computer Mm -hmm. and hobbyists were trying to bring home something that could get them you know something futuristic you know that's yeah uh, i've seen all the side-by-side comparisons like with the ipad and you know stuff like that it's it's neat it's you know it's uh life imitating art imitating life so it's pretty cool 
Yeah. Well, yeah, and the one thing Star Wars has to, we have to thank, Star Trek fans have to thank for Star Wars fans, there wouldn't have been Star Trek movies if it hadn't been for Star Wars. Absolutely. Is that, is that competition is a good thing. And it is. There is no battle between Star Wars and Star Trek. It's all, it's just, you know, I, I never have gotten that. I've been a huge fan of both franchises. I can tell and, by your name, yeah, Jed Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's my uh, yeah. My cousin actually had to drag me in to see the first Star Wars movie. So oh, really? I, I just wanted to go to the. We had it was called Astro World. It was kind of the Six Flags in Houston. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like I don't want to do that. I'd rather go to Astro World. She said, "No, really, you like Star Trek? You're gonna love this." And I was like, "Well, okay." And I was like shocked. I remember sitting in that movie. I said, "You know, sci-fi is gonna change after this. This is yeah, uh, movies changed was, after that. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. groundbreaking. So yeah, it's and you know, ILM, the people who were doing the Star Wars special effects, they were on. I think they worked on most all these movies, most all these Star oh, Trek. Oh, I didn't movies. know that. Well, I know ILM definitely did. Uh, Star Trek Three. Oh, okay, okay. And I think they may have done. I'm not sure if they did the motion picture or not. Perhaps, but I mean, they they established themselves early on, back with the original Star Wars in the late '70s. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, and I agree with you. I think these films definitely influence each other. You can definitely feel the Star Wars presence. I think in this one, like with the bar scene and. We didn't mm-hmm. touch on that a whole lot, but but you, I think you feel it there, and even the oh, look of yeah, the uniforms. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah, the look of some of the like soldier uniforms reminded mm-hmm. me a lot of Star Wars as well. So yeah, you can you can tell they they kind of influence each other, and that's kind of neat to see. So you can like them both. Yeah, and then the Vulcan robes at the end. I mean, doesn't take much to, you know, they put the hood up and they've got a Jedi robe. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very similar themes and feels there, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on oh. today and talking about Star Trek. I'm, I'm, I was really excited that you picked this movie. This is our first Star Trek film that we've talked about, and that's kind of crazy when we've done so many episodes, so I'm glad you picked this one. Well, thank you. I enjoyed being here and uh, enjoyed uh, discussing one of my films that I have a passion for. Great. Well, you're going to have to come back and talk about another one, so be thinking of another one for the future. Okay. Sounds great, Lisa. All right. Well, live long and prosper. All right. You too. All right. Bye. Bye.